Okay, last sermon in this series. Last message in this series. The wilderness. This one takes us right to Christ Himself. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. There's, there's just so much in this. You can't preach it all. You can't teach it all. You can't talk about it all. But what I want to do is I want to go to Matthew 4. If you have your, your uh, Bibles with you in paper form, then Matthew 4. Um, I'm going to begin with the third chapter, verse 16, which leads us into the fourth chapter. If you have your little devices, your phones, you can get a, a Bible app on that very easily. Many of you have it. But I'll give you just a second to turn to Matthew 4. I read from the New King James Version of the Bible. The New King James Version of the Bible. So if you're reading along in the NIV, you're going to say, he's not reading what I'm reading. All right? Uh, New King James. So if you want to read the version of the Bible, the translation of the Bible that I read, you would look for the New King James Version on your digital device. If you have your Bibles with you in in paper form, there is nothing I can do for you. So before we get to that first verse, I want you to get the end of the third verse. When he had been baptized, now you know when this happened, right? Jesus has come down to the Jordan River. We've got the whole interaction with John about Jesus being baptized. Well, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. Jesus has been baptized, comes up out of the water, and God the Father acknowledges this is him. All right. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow, thank you very much. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Imagine that. And the tempter came to him. Who's the tempter? The devil, obviously. The Satan. Now, there's all kinds of things you've got to do with that name. The idea that there was only one Satan in all of history, interesting, because the word Satan is not a noun. It wasn't the actual name of a person. The name Satan meant the tempter. Was there an original being, angel, That in the Garden of Eden fell, tempted Eve? Yes. Was that Satan? Yes. Because that being, that angelic being, living in the Garden with Adam and Eve, taking the form of a serpent on that day, tempted Eve. So it was Satan. Yes. This, though, doesn't in a generic way say, yeah, somebody came along and tempted Jesus. The word that is used here literally is a word that refers back to that original being that tempted Eve in the very beginning of the story of our faith. 
So we are dealing with a person. We are not dealing with an idea of temptation in the world. There was a real being in that desert where Jesus went for 40 days that tempted Jesus. Now, when the tempter came to him, Satan, Beelzebub, we got him by many names in the Bible, this being, this one being. That's why I say we know who this is. The prince of Baal, Beelzebub, the prince of Baal, chief demon, chief evil angel, chief evil guy. If you are the son of God, Command that these stones become bread. Remember, Jesus is hungry. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Okay. Do you know what I mean when I say we are a humanist culture right now? Humanism means this. Very simply. It means that the answer to all of life's problems can be answered within us. Humanism believes two things. We are the cause for all problems. But then humanism also believes we are the answer to all of those problems too. And so the humanist world has an answer for this temptation, doesn't it? If you are the Son of God... Jesus is hungry, right? Is that a real problem in this world? I'd say that it is. We began this with feed my starving children, right? We, we began the service today with an acknowledgement that there are children, especially in this world, that are hungry. Why? Humanists say people are hungry because... We have created a world in which children starve. Amen? Is that not what culture tells us? The humanist culture tells us there are hungry children because we allow them to be hungry. We have created a culture of hunger where there are people that have and people that have not. So the human side of us has an answer. For that. If you are truly the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Why? Because you're hungry. And there is a humanist answer to that. Get yourself something to eat. Plain and simple. Take care of your hunger. Take care of the children. The answer to world hunger? Feed them. Feed them. Humanism. Problem. Solution. Problem came from humans. Solution comes from humans. But listen to Jesus' response. But Jesus, he answered and said, it is written. Back in Deuteronomy. All right. If you want to know where it was written, it's written back in Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Oh. Man shall not live by bread alone. So we know the answer isn't the only thing we're supposed to do about these hungry children is feed them. Maybe that's not the answer at all. Maybe the answer is we need to give them the word of God. Because then, after all, didn't Jesus say, drink from that water again and you'll be thirsty. Eat that bread again and you'll still be hungry. But eat or drink of this and you will never be hungry again. So is that a legitimate answer in our world? The children are hungry, we'll send them a Bible. Now you got to deal with God when he says to us, if a man asks for a fish, will you give him a stone? That's not the Christian answer. So Jesus couldn't have meant that. But let me tell you what humanism does with that. Man shall not live by bread alone. Ah, so there's a lesson to be learned. There's a lesson to be learned in the temptation of Jesus. Remember, this is lessons from the wilderness. This is what can we learn about God's people being in the wilderness... And what can we learn about the wilderness that we have to endure? Our current one, a virus epidemic. We get it. Jesus is telling us that in the face of the wilderness, out in the middle of the wilderness, I'm hungry. I fasted for 40 days. The devil comes to me and he tempts me with this idea that if I'm really hungry, I should just Take what's within my power and feed myself. But Jesus' response to that was, man shall not live by bread alone. Can I tell you, Buddha tried this. Buddha decided that the problem, you know who the Buddha is, right? Buddhism, the Buddha, the images of him are of this guy sitting with a rather large stomach and... All right. That is a picture of Buddha because when they, they made that image of Buddha, he was sitting before the water. And if anybody has ever sat before the water uh, and looked at themselves, you know that what the water does is it spreads you out. It's that same thing with, you know, some of the mirrors I won't buy because when I look in them, they make me look fat. Specifically the ones in stores. You see, stores are smart. Okay, they give you those long, tall ones so that when you stand, you're like, hey, that doesn't look half bad. Yeah, it does. Buddha was actually a very thin man. Because Buddha was following an idea in life. One of the stories of the Buddha was that he starved himself to the point that when he ate one grain of rice, you could see it going down his throat. That is a recorded story about the Buddha. In other words, he took, man shall not live by bread alone, that concept and that idea in this world, to say, well, what's our answer to this? If humanity is the problem of hunger in the world, if your prop, then what you need to overcome is your desire for food. That's what needs to be conquered. 
You see, that's the humanist preaching of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. You, America, are too addicted to food. Now that might be true. But the answer to that, humanism says, is you need to just deny yourself that. Can I tell you that that whole idea goes back to a Greek philosophy? It's called Stoicism. It's, it's this, this platonic idea that says we are bad. We are bad. Humanity is bad. And so anything that we love and we like, it has to be bad. Jesus must have been telling us in the wilderness that this desire to eat after 40 days of fasting should just remind us that we eat too much to begin with. And that's the whole idea. If man is the problem, then what you do must be the answer to that. So you just need to get your eating habits under control. Then you're going to be okay as a person again. Well, that works if you say man shall not live by bread alone. You can make that point, but Jesus didn't respond to the devil in that way. But you shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is taking this into a different place. I wonder where. So the devil took him again into the holy city. That's Jerusalem. We know where that is. Set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And now Satan quotes scripture. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, yeah, but it's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Humanist answer to that. I say humanist because, brothers and sisters, we live in a humanist culture. Our children are being taught humanist lessons. Our educational system is very focused on making sure that our young people are taught what they can do to solve the problems of the world. Now, that's not entirely a bad thing. But if that's what you rest your faith on, if that's what you rest your understanding of the world on, then you get into a secular humanism in life that says, I'm the problem and I'm the answer. You can't both be the problem and the answer. Logic doesn't work. Jesus is saying to a humanist who says, well, this is obvious. Jesus is teaching us a lesson about risk. Yeah? Are we living in a time when we are trying to deal with risk and mitigate risk? And at all costs, Make sure we minimize the risk to ourselves and each other. Do you know where that concept comes from? It comes from a concept of humanism. It comes from a concept that says the devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off. And Jesus says, that's not the way you are in relationship in this world. You don't tempt God. You don't live your life 
with risk. Well, you know, there's a part of that that makes total sense. You don't climb a ladder and fix our lights and just expect that if you make a mistake and fall off, you're not going to get hurt. So what do you do? You somehow tether yourself to the ladder. There is the idea that you try to be as safe as you can as people. But then there's the idea in this world that says all risk is bad. And you see, that's the humanist answer to what, what the devil is saying or what Jesus is saying to the devil. You don't tempt fate. You don't take risks in this world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has just walked into the wilderness of sin. I'm going to get to that for the third one here. This is a huge risk to him. He has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. He's tired. Jesus is going to walk back into Jerusalem. Do you think if Jesus really meant we mitigate all risk in life and we don't take any risk in life, that he would have walked back into the place where they were going to nail him to a cross? Jesus' point certainly can't be that the answer to human struggle when it comes to risk is that we don't take any. No, Jesus says, you don't tempt God. God has a plan, and Satan, his plan is not for me to go up on top of the temple and just throw myself off. Anymore, that, my, that God's plan for me is to go up into a plane and without a parachute jump out or go into a pit of snakes as some people in their faith do and believe that that's a test of God's faith in their lives because the scripture says that he will not let the snakes bite or harm his people. That's just ridiculous and absurd in this world. That's not what Jesus was meaning. And then we come to the one that just sets Jesus off. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, the glory of all those kingdoms, and said to him, all the things I will give you, I'll give you all these things if you'll fall down. And Jesus says to him, Satan, away with you. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Jesus doesn't even bother with a real answer to Satan on this one. It is such an absurd proposal. Satan takes Jesus up to the mountain. I can tell you which mountain that is. We know exactly which mountain is the highest mountain in this region called the wilderness of sin. It's the same area. Let me, let me tell you where this is. It's the same area that the Hebrew people are going to wander in for 40 years. Jesus is going to be there for 40 days. In 40 days, you don't get to where they wandered in 40 years. You just get to the northern borders of this. In the wilderness of sin, it sits southeast. It's just above a place called Saudi Arabia in our modern world. It's just east and north, or it's just, yeah, northwest of a place called Saudi Arabia. It's just northeast of Egypt. It's where they crossed through the Red Sea, came through a portion that we call Saudi Arabia today, and then headed up into this huge place that was called the wilderness of sin. When they entered the wilderness of sin, when they entered that wilderness out of Exodus, it had a huge crater 
where a place called Sodom used to be. When they entered the wilderness of sin, there was a very large fortified city in that wilderness called Jericho. It's going to be the first city that falls to the Israelites. That was the home of the giants. That was the home of the people they called the Rephidim. They were the ones that were left from the battles in the days of old that had stood and will stand against God and his people. It's the original evil people of the world. It's the one that Goliath is going to come from. And Jesus has gone into that wilderness. And Satan has taken him up to Mount Horeb, which is the highest mountain point where you can look out and you can see everything. If you're up on the top of Mount Horeb, you can see Syria. Syria is to the north of Israel. If you stand up on Mount Horeb, you can see over into Iraq. Because Iraq is east of Israel. If you stand up on Mount Horeb, you can see Saudi Arabia to the south. If you stand up on Mount Horeb, you can see the seas to the south. You can see the Dead Sea, which is the place where the Jordan River finally empties into. If you stand up on Mount Horeb, you can see the clouds of the Mediterranean. In other words, it's the highest point in this huge range of mountains in Israel. And Jesus has said, do you see all these kingdoms? You remember where those came from, right? Those came from the story in the Tower of Babel. Those came from Jesus coming down and seeing the nations of the world trying to build their glory and he scattered them. And he gave his angels charge over those nations. And this is what he said to the nations. I want you to hear me because this brings everything together. He gave his angels charge over those nations and he said, your one job is to bring those nations back to me. That was the job of God's angels. Real simple. All the nations of the world have one goal at the end. Come back to God. All people of the world have one goal. Come back to God. Now, God chose one people. At Babel. Do you remember which people he chose? The Israelites. And God said, these are my people. And that's when he said to his people, you are going to be the messengers to the rest of these nations that help them know how to come back to me. That's a big responsibility. And then he looked at the angels and he said, and your job is to bring those people back to, an, to, to a world that follows me. And we know what happened. The Bible tells us those angels rebelled against God. And rather than bringing the nations of the world back to God, what did they do? They tried in every way they could to get the nations of the world to rebel against God. And so we get Baal, and we get Moat, and we get all of these evil presences leading people away from God. The devil, the prince of 
of all of these angels that are evil takes Jesus, God himself, up on the mountain of Horeb and says, I'll give you all these nations. And Jesus remembers when as God, he gave Satan responsibility for those nations. And he says, get away from me, Satan. It's the absurdity. Lessons from the wilderness. Can I tell you that Jesus is the epitome of what it means to deal with the wilderness journeys of this world? Did you lose your job because of COVID? It's a wilderness journey. Did you lose income in your job because of this COVID? It's a wilderness journey. Is your family struggling? Did you lose a loved one? Are you facing some kind of wilderness experience? Something hasn't gone right in life. Jesus is the epitome of what it means to have to live in this world, in a broken world, not because there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity. It is not fundamentally wrong to enjoy your food and good food. It is not fundamentally wrong to have the riches of this world. It is not fundamentally... If it is, then why in the world does Scripture tell us that Jesus says things like, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you in abundance. That means I came to give you health and I came to give it to you in abundance. So you don't look. The humanist, the humanists in our world look at life and say, this is evil. This is bad. We shouldn't have. We shouldn't prosper all the problems of the world could be solved if humanity just went away brothers and sisters we're not the problem of this world we're the ones that have to struggle with the problems of this world we are not the cause of sin in this world sorry to break that on you but Eve Ladies, breathe a sigh of relief. Because where we have said for years, man, if you just hadn't sinned, nothing would be wrong with this world. And you've said to us, yeah, well, you ate it too. Man did not bring sin into this world. Satan brought sin into this world. And the answer to Satan is not for men to be better. Or for women to be better. Or for people to act better. The answer is to turn everything back towards God. Health. Income. Food. Power. Wealth. I got news for you. Somebody's got to be in control. Somebody's got to be the boss. Somebody's got to make decisions. I hope that the people in power are people that give thoughtful decision-making processes back to God. Because if all they're doing 
is answering things from a human perspective in this world. Brothers and sisters, we can't both be the problem and the solution. Let me read you this. James, the brother of Jesus, understood, and I close with these words. The fourth chapter of James. Where do fights come from among you? They come from the desires for pleasure that war within you. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight wars, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Because you want to spend it on your pleasures. Do you hear the way humanism can say humanity is the problem? Let me tell you the way James, the brother of Jesus, answers this. What are the answers to all these things? James 4, 7. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. In the wilderness, Jesus, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he fled. In the wilderness, submit to God. In the wilderness of sin, for the Israelites, submit to God. In Babylon, in the wilderness of exile, submit to God. Brothers and sisters, in the middle of a COVID virus, where we're tempted to try to mitigate risk and think that's the answer to what lies on the other side, or that somehow we turn on each other, Paul's going to famously tell us, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities of evil. I end the message on lessons from the wilderness by saying to you, we are not each other's enemies. We're not. We are not what's wrong with this world. We are what's right with this world. We are so valuable that God went to the cross that we might come back. But the truth is, we have a world of nations and people that were scattered because of disobedience to God. And God's desire is for them to come back. We are the people of God. We cannot afford to act like the humanists of the world because the Christian response to the wilderness wanderings in this world is not to try to figure it out. It's to turn to God. Resist the devil. And he will leave us alone. I'd love to have more conversations with you about it. Heavenly Father, I just pray a blessing on this church, this congregation, these people. May we be the light in a world that is dim right now. May we be voices of reason. May we be voices that encourage. May we be voices that stay off of social media platforms that would tear others up. But may we be the people that will build, will look for the hope that comes from you, and will understand that we are in a battle that is beyond humanity. Lord, give us the tools to fight that war. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Amen. Please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God is good. And all the time, don't ever forget that. Go in peace. God bless.